What do you think of when you see the Bible, when you look at the Bible, when you read it? Maybe a better question is, do you read it? I've got this massive family Bible. This was given to me, like handed down to me, um, because I'm the only pastor in our family. So, yay me. I don't like use this in my daily devotionals or anything like that. I've probably opened it a handful of times. It's 150 years old. Um, So... Yeah, it's, uh, but I bring it, and I don't want to be insensitive to Scripture, but this Bible and many of the Bibles we've read or thought about over the years, um, it's kind of an object lesson for many of the things that are, that many of the harmful things that Christianity has done, and many of the problems that Christianity is going to face. And so when we think about the Bible, we have to kind of reframe our thoughts, I'm going to put this down because it's like two, it's like 10 pounds, so I'm going to set that down, and uh, it'll go kind of back in a box in my basement where it was. Uh, The passage that Aaron read out of Hebrews is, kind of encapsulates the, what we would call the Old Testament or the Hebrew scripture. It says that before there was these prophets, you know, God spoke through these prophets, And then later, God spoke through Jesus, through the Son. And so what the writer of Hebrews was telling these people was that there was this culmination of what was happening. And everything that happened up until that point was a precursor to this cross, to this event of Jesus coming and being a part of what was happening in the the world. And Jesus had something to do with all of that. We're in the middle of this cross series and it's called cross vision. And one thing that we looked at when we did this is like, how can, we view the, how can we view life through the cross or success through the cross or the Bible through the cross? And today that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at how can we look at everything that we see in the Bible, the things that we might see or might misunderstand, how can we look at those things in a fresh way? And what I'm going to encourage you to do is look at the Bible through this lens of the cross. My name's Andrew Carpenter, right in the middle of this series leading up to Easter. And so today, as we begin this time, I'd like to pray and ask you to do that with me. God, I thank you uh, for the opportunity to get together and to worship you. I thank you for Gabe and Autumn leading us in that time. I pray that you would use these words that you've given to me. I pray that um, the things that I've studied and thought of, Lord, that um, you'll bring them to mind and that they'll be useful to those who hear them and that they'll glorify you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So why should we look at the Bible through the lens of the cross? We could think of the Bible as this collection of all these stories, and some of them we've heard and some of them we haven't. There's these epic heroes, there's these moral failures, there's the apostles and the prophets and stories of Jesus. There's all these men and women, these leading figures, but they also, we see their failures, we see their foils, we see the things that they did that don't really sit well with who we think of when we think about Jesus Christ. So how do we reconcile everything that we read in Scripture? How do we reconcile that and put it all together? My encouragement to you is that we use this lens of the cross to look at it all. 
I brought something else with me today. I'm not super big on uh, object lessons, but I've got this viewfinder. And I, I took up drawing for like a nanosecond because I was like, oh, I ought to do that. When we were doing that art-inspired thing, and I got a book, and I got some cheap art supplies. And this is a viewfinder, right? I repurposed it for this because I don't use it as a viewfinder. The viewfinder is to like give you perspective. Like if you're drawing something, it helps you with the landscape or something. I don't know anything really about art other than that. And so I just repurposed it for our use today. And I made a cross out of it. And I thought, okay, I can make a filter. This is, not, this is a Bible I got when I got out of seminary. You can probably, if you looked at it close, you'd see that I didn't use this one a whole lot either because, again, it's pretty massive. Um, good stuff in here. The, but I put a filter of this cross in front of this Bible. And it keeps me from reading it in a plain way. If I take that cross filter away and I just read it and take everything in here at face value or literally, then that becomes kind of a problem for not just us, but for other people that haven't been exposed to what's in here. But if I put, the, if I have this idea of that God who hung on the cross for us in front of this, I get a better glimpse of who he is and what he was trying to do throughout all of this scripture and what all of this scripture might reveal about that God who suffered, bled, died, was humiliated, and rejected. I'm going to put this one away too because I don't need that. This cross filter helps us understand God in light of God's suffering. You know, God was willing to, and we see this in Hebrew scripture, we see this in Jesus on the cross, we see this God who's willing to be rejected, that's willing to be humiliated, that's willing to get down in the muck and the mire, the, the morass of our daily existence. You know, he gets in on the, the, the yuck, but he also gets into the beautiful things. And that's what this cross does. It gives us this opportunity to see something that is not pretty necessarily, but it's still beautiful. Uh, the scripture has this long list of ills. Horrible things. There's misogyny, polygamy, genocide, killing innocents. There's um, exploitation, enslavement, all of those things. And the only way I can begin to kind of reconcile that is with the ugliness of the cross. The sense that, okay, what was happening? Why did they allow this to occur? The thing that we have to understand about all those, that laundry list of horrible things, is that just because it's mentioned in this scripture, just because they wrote about it, doesn't mean that it was behavior that God condoned. And then the second thing that we can do is when we read the Bible, when we look at the Bible closely, we can say, okay, that doesn't sound like the God I know that's revealed in Jesus. And so maybe there's something else going on in that passage. That's where that cross filter helps, because if we take this plain reading and say, God said, kill all of them, leave nothing. And then we put the cross filter in that, across that and say, does that really sound right? What is, that, what is going on there? Then we have a little bit better perspective. I can't justify all the violence. I can't justify all the exploitation in the Bible. I, can't, I, I won't be able to do that. But I know if I keep that cross filter in front of me, it helps me understand that there may be something else going on. The writers of the Bible, they didn't have 
a complete picture of God. We don't have a complete picture of God and what God was trying to do. We find this, that these writers were culturally conditioned, right? Every author has a context. So each of these people that wrote what they wrote had a perspective of, of what they thought of God, and it may have been the God Yahweh, the, whole, the Holy One God, they may have known about that one, but they also had all these other gods from these other tribes and areas and places around them to draw context from them. And those gods were often violent and horrible, and they had did like child sacrifice and all kinds of different stuff. And so that all kind of gets meshed in with, when I think about God, I might think about these other gods. And so when they wrote some of these things, they were coming from a perspective that was culturally imbued into who they were and what they thought. Now, our understanding of God has progressed over time, just as these prophets were, just as we get into the, the, what we call the New Testament, the Christian scripture. St. Paul had, had, had something to say about this. He says in the first letter to the Corinthians, he, says, tell, he tells us, love never ends. The drive to explain or reveal God will cease. And then he goes on to say, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I've been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. And the greatest of these is love. What's missing from this list? Faith, hope, and love. Uh, Understanding everything. Having some special knowledge. Getting all the answers to all the questions we've ever asked. It's not on the the list for Paul. And when we think of Paul, the one who wrote the bulk of what we call the New Testament, he knew a lot about God. He knew a lot about what God's activity was. But when he says, now I just see kind of dimly. Later, I will know all of it. I'll understand it. He didn't understand it on this side. I love how Pastor Brian Zond um, kind of frames this whole idea for us. He says, if we start with the flood, the conquest, the wars of David, we're all left with the conundrum of a God who drowns the world, commissions genocide, and condones war. But if we start with Jesus, we're invited to read these holy texts in a new light and arrive at new conclusions. See, the Hebrew scripture is often considered to be something that's just full of God's wrath. I mean, if you're familiar with Old Testament, New Testament, the Old Testament knock is it's just God being angry and wrathful and punishing people. And the New Testament is, oh, that's Jesus, and he loves us, and he forgives us. And in my experience... We need to look at that whole Bible a lot more closely. We need to study it. Because we find in the Hebrew Scripture, yeah, there is mentions of God being angry and wrathful, but we also have this beautiful poetry. We have these epic stories. We have these heroes. We have these, um, this, just this awesome narrative of God forgiving, redeeming, going out and, 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 and trying to bring his people back to himself. These stories of taking people out of captivity, 
Um, and just the overall arching theme of forgiveness and justice and compassion that permeates that, that Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we, have, we find Jesus will say things um, in his parables that just don't sit all that awesomely because people get killed in those, and then he has some prophetic teachings, and people are, things are happening that are not copacetic with uh, that idea that we have of the New Testament being all love and ponies and puppy dogs and stuff like that. So um, when we use this cross as we read the Hebrew Testament, as we read the Old, Old Testament, we see some of these stories in a new light. We see that there's this overarching narrative in this, in this kind of um, connective theme when we use a cross to look at some of these stories. I want to give one example from the Old Testament. Um, there's this, these three people. And if you grew up in church, you've heard this story, but you might not have put the lens of the cross in front of it. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men lived in Babylon, so they were captives. They had, like, Babylonian captivity. They grabbed them, took them out there, and then they were raising them in this town, and they're trying to kind of get them all to do what they wanted them to do. So this king decides he wants to consolidate power, right? And the really good way to consolidate power in the ancient Near East is to get everybody worshiping the same god or gods. So he decides, okay, I'm going to build this massive statue, and it's gold, right? Massive gold statue. Every time you hear the trumpet, bow down. You know, if you're a VeggieTales person, you're familiar with the story. Everybody was supposed to bow down. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they loved God, decided they weren't going to bow down. The only problem with that is the king has decided, if you don't bow down to this, I'm going to arrest you and you're going to get executed because he wanted total compliance. So they find out that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have not been bowing down at the appropriate times or at any time. And so they arrest them. They bring them in. And the king gives them one more opportunity to bow down. And these three men say, tell, tell the king, it's like, you know, king, our God can save us. And if our God doesn't save us, we'll still never bow down. And so this king has his Guys, tie these three men up. They get this blazing furnace, super hot. They toss these three men into the furnace. That should be the end of it, right? But if you know the story, you know that whatever they were tied up with is no longer in existence. They're walking around inside this massive furnace, and there's one other with them. There's not just three, there's four. And that fourth one, it says in the scripture, appears to be a god. So the king and his henchmen or court decide, okay, let's get him out of there because this is remarkable. He lets him out and decides, he comes up with a new decree. You know, he decreed that everybody's going to bow down this cold statue. He decides to pivot on that one and decides now because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God had delivered them out of the fiery furnace. Oh, that's the one we're going to worship now. He's still bossy, still trying to get his people to do everything he wants them to do, but at least they're focused on the appropriate God, the one who saves. So when we put 
the filter of the cross on top of this, you might already kind of be thinking of the parallels. These three men were going to obey God, love God, do everything that they, were, that they knew they were supposed to do to worship God. Jesus did the same thing. He was going to be obedient even to death on this cross. He, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't cave to peer pressure. They didn't do what the government wanted them to do just because the government said you're supposed to do it. They didn't do what kind of the religious leaders in their kingdom were saying because the religious leaders had some skin in this game because we're talking about bowing down to idols. Jesus didn't go along with the status quo. In fact, the religious leaders and the government authorities decided they had to execute him. The three men that I mentioned that justified themselves only by saying, we're not going to bow down, Jesus' only justification was, I am who I am, and I'm going to go the way I need to go. And that that is kind of how we do some of this with the cross is just kind of say, okay, what was happening with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how are they kind of a type for what Jesus did on the cross? In the New Testament, there's lots of different places where we see judgment and anger. I mentioned that earlier. Jesus, in his parables, and in some of the prophetic things that he said. There's violence in there. You see uh, incidents of slavery, and um, usually Paul addresses it when people are, uh, are being sinful, but he also doesn't really address the issue of, of people holding slaves. And so we have to kind of look at all of that kind of within the light of the cross and their, their cultural context, but we have to be sensitive to that. Know that, like I mentioned earlier, they had this cultural context that they were living in. And they were doing their level best to understand God in light of the suffering that he endured. There's many examples in the Christian scriptures where the writers have done what I'm encouraging you to do. They look back at what they learned from their Hebrew tradition. They look back at what they learned from their scriptures. And they began to reimagine it uh, through this lens of the cross. They saw what was before and they project that to, through to the Easter weekend. Jesus certainly, he reinterprets uh, the Hebrew scripture. You see that over and over again. He, he's, he, no longer is it okay to take an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Um, he reimagines their holy days. He, he changes how they think about what to do on their Sabbath day. And then he calls them... To, to think about the Bible in relation to what God had been trying to reveal to them all along. So he made them kind of rethink all of that in himself. It's, it's impossible for me today to kind of to go through the, the long litany of all the things that are in the scripture that need to be reconciled through the cross. There's a couple of really good resources I want to point you to for that. Um, one of them is a book by a na- man of, pastor named Greg Boyd, and it's called The Crucifixion of the Warrior God, and it's 1,400 pages, tons of footnotes. If you're into that, have at it. It's really good. We, Tim and I and a couple other people kind of read through that at one point, um, but then 
he's consolidated it down into something that's a little bit more palatable, which is called cross-vision. So what Greg Boyd does he, is he kind of unpacks this sense of who Jesus is, what the cross meant, and how that kind of plays as a filter over all of Scripture. And then there's another book by a man named Andy Stanley. He's also a pastor. And he's got a, I think he's got a good sense of humor, so that kind of helps. Um, but he takes this book, Irresistible, and he talks about the early church and what the early church conceived of when they thought about the Bible, when they thought about the Scripture. There's lots of other stuff in there as well. But those are two good resources that you guys can go to that are better than me in 20 minutes trying to do the best I can to help you see this. Um, I want to finish up with one more story. There's, and, it, and it comes specifically from the New Testament. So I want to share this thing that really demonstrates the cross as this underlying feature, the climax of what God was doing. There's a story in, in the book of Acts, and Acts is, the, is written by Luke, and Luke wrote one of the biographies of Jesus, Luke. And the Acts is the story of the early church. Like It had just, right after Easter, they're putting all this together, and they're starting to spread out from Jerusalem, out into different, different parts. And there's this story of a man named Stephen. And Stephen, kind of like Jesus, got himself in trouble with the authorities because he spoke the truth. He talked about God and reframed God in a different way than previously had been liked or loved. And so Stephen got himself in trouble. They arrested him. They brought him in, and he does defend himself to the people that are wanting to persecute him. But he defends himself with this fairly long sermon. At least when you read it, it seems long. But he recounts the Old Testament story, the Hebrew Scripture. He starts from Abraham and Moses and Joseph David and Solomon, but he ends with this. He says, which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one. And now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You were the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. He said this, and it obviously didn't make them happy because he just called them murderers and uh, they'd killed their, the Messiah that they had been waiting for. So they, I, I, as I recall, I think they, they closed up their ears. It's like, no, 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 I can't hear you, can't hear you. And they rushed at him and started throwing stones at him. And in the middle of his demise, he's dying. He says two things that echo what Jesus said, according to Luke's account in Luke, what, he echoes two things that Jesus said on the cross. He says, Jesus, into thy hands I commit my spirit, or Jesus, receive my spirit. And he also says, he, he, he asks for forgiveness for those who are stoning him, for those who are killing him. He says, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Forgive these people of their sin. Jesus, on the cross, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he also says, Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He's hanging on a cross. He's dying. And he's forgiving the people who are killing him. Stephen did the same thing. 
if we look at the writers like Luke and Paul, Peter and James, if we look at each one of those writers, these authors, these apostles, they had reframed, had reframed? They reframed the whole scripture in light of what happened on that cross. Everything leading up to that point gave them a sense of, okay, this is what God's really like. This is the God who loves us and wants to be with us, even in our stuff. So the cross for these early Christians was the climax of everything they knew up until that point. So why wouldn't they reframe how they thought about the scripture in light of that cross? You know, Jesus tells his disciples to take up their cross and follow him. If we're Jesus' disciples, our call is the same, is to take up a cross and follow him. And when we do that, when we take up this cross, we put this filter of the cross in front of how we live and how we look at the scripture, we see a God who understands pain and rejection. We envision a a God that's worthy of our devotion. And we gain clarity for a God who we often misinterpret and so often misrepresent. We see a God who embraces all that we are, our sin, our shame, our failures, our the goodness that we are. He enfolds all of it, good and evil, in this instrument that we would call a cross. I'm going to pray for us, and then Tim and Gabe and Autumn are going to come up, and we'll have a time of communion. God, I thank you um, for being with us today, Lord. I pray that you would just help us to understand you, to love you, to know you in the most full way possible. We thank you that you've given this scripture to us, these words to us, Lord. And we pray that we, through your Son, We'll see them, read them, study them in a new light, one that reflects your love, your grace, your patience, the sense of pain that, that all of us feel. Help us to know you better and to love you more. It's in Jesus' name I pray.